Welcome to the Pro Aging Podcast. I'm Steve Gurney with Positive Aging Sourcebook, and we've got a treat for you today. Straight from the 34th Annual Caregivers Conference, which is sponsored by the Northern Virginia Dementia Care Consortium, we've got Marty Schreiber, the former governor of Wisconsin, who has seen his beloved wife, Elaine, gradually transform from the woman who had gracefully entertained in the executive residence to one who sometimes doesn't recognize him as her husband. Marty counsels those taking on this caregiving role and offers sage advice that respects the one with Alzheimer's while maintaining the caregiver's health. Let's jump into this conversation with former Governor Marty Schreiber. And if you'd like more information about the Caregivers Conference, just visit nvdcc.com. But anyway, uh, what a great honor for me uh, to be here. And Kathy, thank you for the, the kind introduction. So many things that come through my mind uh, when I think about meeting with, with caregivers and also when I think about what the Northern Virginia Dementia Caregiver Consortium is doing for people. Uh, every viewer, uh, particularly as a personal caregiver, but I also know as professionals, understand full well the depression and the anxiety and the grieving. The fact that it is so difficult to watch a loved one uh, move from someone who you knew very well, but someone who is no longer what they once were. So first of all, a big shout out uh, to uh, the consortium for doing all of this. I think also as uh, any a participant would, 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 would think about, and that is if you look at the co-sponsors of this consortium, know that you're not alone. Know that there are many outstanding organizations with just terrific, talented, insightful, concerned, compassionate people to help you along on this journey. And why that's so important is to make sure that you understand you cannot do this alone. And to say that you would be a fool, that's a very harsh kind of, of word, and I don't like to use it, but I was a fool. I was a fool because I thought I could, I could do it myself. And so, uh, well, you should know that my, my first experience with, 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 with uh, dementia occurred, uh, I'm campaigning for governor back in 1978, and this is in a rural community, uh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, northwestern Wisconsin, maybe 40, 60 miles uh, south and east of Minneapolis, Minnesota. So I give this campaign speech. And after the campaign speech is over, this elderly gentleman comes over and he taps me on it. He says, Governor, he said that had to be the worst god-awful speech I've ever heard in my whole life. Well, his wife was there and she heard what he said and she came rushing over and she said, oh, she said, Governor, she says, please excuse my husband. He's old and he's senile. And all he does is simply repeat whatever he hears everybody else say. And so that was my first experience. And uh, as uh, we go forward, then I go back to, um, oh, some 17 years ago when my wife was first uh, diagnosed early onset. And so now 12 years uh, with me and now five years in assisted living memory care. And in those years, I have seen uh, and, and, and experienced uh, the kind of 
grieving and the kind of depression and the kind of worry and the kind of health issues that uh, make this consortium uh, so very important. Uh, because in my travels, I have come to understand and learn that caregivers, guilt, I didn't mention guilt. So whether you are in, in, in no matter what area of this country, caregivers for some reason or another just uh, experience this terrific guilt, but I think I know why. And, and I think it is because we loved we love our, 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 our dear ones so much. And what happens is we try and take care of them. And as we take care of them, every day is a new normal. So what am I doing wrong? Well, then what happens? We caregivers think, well, if we put more time, talent, and energy and emotion into us, things will get better. We do that. But it doesn't get better. It gets worse. Well, then what happens is we, pray, we don't get our exercise. We don't eat properly. We don't sleep properly. And what happens then is we are putting ourselves in the worst position to do the best job possible for our loved one. Now, when Elaine was first diagnosed these 17 years ago, I wish that someone would have sat down and talked to me and said, Marty, you can't do this alone. And what I think about is there was a, a fellow, he's driving along in his car. And while he's driving along in his car, he comes across a body in the road and he gets on the phone. He's looking, he says, send help right away. He says, 911, got to send help. There's a body in the dispatcher says, yes, sir, we will. Where are you? Well, he says, I'm on Pistachio Street, but send help right away. We got to help right away. Well, he said, where are you? Where are you? He said, well, I'm on Pistachio Street, but, but send, well, the, the dispatcher says, sir, he says, how do you spell pistachio? He says, spell pistachio. He says, I got to send, send help. The dispatcher says, sir, we have to make sure we get this emergency medical team. To, how do you spell pistachio? The man says, never mind. He said, I'll call you back in five minutes. The dispatcher says, call back in five minutes. Well, I thought you said, why are you coming back in five minutes? The man says, well, I'm going to drag the body over to Elm. And the point being is that not everyone knows how to spell pistachio. Not everyone knows about Alzheimer's. Not everyone knows and understands that if Alzheimer's is bad, ignorance of the disease is worse. And when I say ignorance of the disease, I, don't, I mean by me, the caregiver, I didn't understand the uh, different aspects of this disease. The medical profession, gosh, since when Elaine was diagnosed and in the years following, we spent hundreds of thousand dollars on my health, trying to figure out what was wrong. Hard of breathing, uh, gaining of weight, all of these things. And I'm not blaming them. All I'm saying is that I wish that we would have been smart enough to step back and say, how come this healthy man after a period of time, all of a sudden is becoming distraught, overweight, has trouble breathing and so on. And so it's ignorance of the disease by the professional uh, uh, medical profession, but also ignorance of the disease by churches, ignorance of the disease, for example, by, uh, by uh, financial planners, by, by bankers, ignorance of the disease by well, if Alzheimer's is bad, ignorance of the disease is worse. So what are some of the things that, uh, that I came to learn? Well, I came to learn certainly that all of the armies marching, all of the Navy sailing, all of the liquor that's distilled, all of the beer that's brewed is not gonna stop this disease. 
I came to understand that I also cannot do this by myself. Now, what I think we should understand, and that is one of the basic tenets uh, of, of, of this challenge that, that you and I have. Well, there was, a, there, was a, there was a hippopotamus and a butterfly that fell in love with one another. And they're about to get married and the hippopotamus is thinking about the consummation of the wedding ceremony uh, with, with this love of butterfly. Well, how am I going to do that, he thinks. So he seeks out the wise owl. He says, wise owl. He says, I'm a hippopotamus. I'm in love with this butterfly. We're about to get married. How will I be able to consummate this marriage? Well, says the wise owl, all you have to do is turn yourself into a butterfly. Well, the hippopotamus accepted that advice and began to walk away. And then it dawned on him. How do I turn myself into a butterfly? Well, he didn't know, so he went back to the wise owl. He says, wise owl. He said, how do I turn myself into a butterfly? And the wise owl said, get lost, Buster. He said, I just determined policy. And so what I am telling every caregiver now is policy. What I am telling every caregiver is so important. What I am telling you is very, very difficult. And that is in order to be a good caregiver, and a continuing loving spouse or relative. Unfortunately, we have to let go of the person who once was so that we can now embrace the person who now is. It's so very, very difficult. But I will tell you that as long as I try to keep Elaine in my world, her life and my life were more miserable. But once I began to understand that if I can join her world, it can mean all the difference. It's 9.30 in the morning. I want a glass of wine. No, you can't have a glass of wine at 9.30 in the morning is not the answer. The answer is, do you want red wine or white wine? Do you want to drink it with your sisters or should we invite over the neighbors? Do you want it in a tall glass or in a shorter glass? So the point is maybe read direction, not arguing, but maybe read direction. And maybe, for example, read direction doesn't work. What is wrong? but someone having a glass of wine at 9.30 in the morning, if they do not know it's morning, noon, or night anyway. Another thing that I came to understand very clearly, so Elaine and I went before COVID, gosh, it, uh, I understand everyone how tough this COVID situation is. I personally have experienced being locked out of seeing Elaine from the end of February until sometime into the middle of June. I now can see her uh, what is it? It's it's an hour a day, two times a week. And so I go there for lunch and uh, I feed her. And uh, it's a wonderful, rewarding experience for me. But anyway, so before COVID, when Elaine was still uh, able to, uh, um, to get about, uh, we were having lunch at her assisted living and she began to cry. I said, Elaine, why are you crying? Well, she says, I'm beginning to love you more than my husband. Well, I didn't ask her what's wrong with your turkey husband. I didn't do that. But the fact of the matter is um, that showed me that it is not necessary for her to know who I am in order for our hearts to touch. And if we can understand that, we can let go of the fact that our loved one may not know who we are. 
We may we have we let go of the fact that yeah, it didn't happen on a Thursday, it happened on a Saturday. And yes, uh, parents are still living. And by God, they call every day to ask how you're doing. And by God, we're going to make sure that we have a time for, uh, you know, to hear from them. But so, so very important that we join their world. Now, uh, before COVID, and, and I'm sure the, the, the statistics haven't changed much, but before COVID, Alzheimer's was a sixth leading cause of death, but of the top 10 killers. Of the top 10 killers, Alzheimer's is number six. And of the top 10 killers, Alzheimer's is not, it is the only disease that, not get, that cannot be cured, delayed, or prevented. 17 years ago, Alzheimer's was a disease that could not be cured, delayed, or prevented when Elaine was first diagnosed. Now it's 2020, almost 2021, Alzheimer's is still the disease that cannot be cured, delayed, or prevented. Now, you should know that maybe in Elaine's instance, they think that she actually could be getting better. And um, so and let me tell you, so this is in the same lunchroom. This again goes back a little bit. And so we're in the same lunch that have assisted living memory care. And uh, Elaine began uh, to ask uh, me uh, how, how, how we met. Uh, well, first of all, uh, before that, she began to tell me how intelligent and how good-looking I am. Well, she began to tell me how intelligent and good-looking I am, but not only began, but continued and continued. Well, there was a nurse sitting over and a doctor sitting over to the right at another table. And they heard her tell me how intelligent and good-looking I am. And they said, Elaine is getting better. So they wrote an article for the New England Medical Journal explaining how Elaine is getting better because she knew that her husband was getting more intelligent and better looking. Well, there are no dummies at the New England Medical Journal. They wrote back and say, look it, you have to show three things where someone is getting better, not just two. Well, a little bit of time went by. Now we're at the same table by happenstance. And Elaine gets on one of these questions. How did we meet? How did we meet? How did we meet, Elaine? When we were freshmen in high school, I saw you in Latin class. I sat next to you. I said, and the moment I saw you, I fell in love with you. And I knew that I wanted you uh, to, to be my, my wife. I knew that. And I said, not only did I know that, but I said, I felt so strongly about it that if any boy got within 50 feet of you, I popped him on the head. She looked at me, she says, you're a bullshitter. Well. What happened was the same doctor, the same nurse heard that say bullshitter. And so anyway, so what happened is now they rewrote the New England Medical Journal. And they now have three things to show that Marty Shriver is getting better. Handsome, good looking, and a BSer. And, and so um, those, those kinds of things hopefully come about once in a while. And the point is that we, we sort of have to, you and I look at these moments of joy uh, so, so that we can grab them and, and hold them. You and I, are not going to beat Alzheimer's going head to head. You and I are going to beat Alzheimer's because we better understand this disease, because we know we can't argue with it, because we know we can't do it alone, and because we know that if Alzheimer's is bad, ignorance of the disease is worse, and the, what we must do, painfully so, is let go of this person who once 
was so that we can now embrace the person who now is. And to your caregivers, I wish that I would have experienced something better to tell you. I wish that you and I could share some things of greater hope. But I do also want to tell you that we have to understand that if Alzheimer's is bad, ignorance of the disease is worse, so understand the disease. But then also I read something a while back, which was very, very helpful. And that is rather than worry about the storm to pass, to try and learn how to dance in the rain. How do you and I dance in the rain? What are the best things that we can do? You and I can keep ourselves healthy because our loved one is going through such worry as they are diagnosed with this disease. You are the only link to their hope of what might be tomorrow as they lose their mind. And so if we are broken and run down and irrationally irritable and, and, and just so beset with uh, anxiety, what kind of help are we? Now, um, my, my book, My Two Elaines, I'm going to tell you just a little bit about it. Um, and, and this gets into me talking about how important it is for caregivers to take care of themselves because I learned after a while how important I was in Elaine's life as she progressed on this Alzheimer's journey. So anyway, learning, coping, and surviving as an Alzheimer's caregiver. So I'm about ready to go to print, maybe six weeks, manuscripts all done. And this is my story, Marty Schreiber's caregiving story. Well, lo and behold, if those four to six weeks behind publication, what happened was I ran across a series of notes and journals that Elaine had been keeping from the very beginning of her diagnosis. And I went through those notes and journals with my daughter, Kathy and Christine, and also with my co-writer, Kathy Brighton Butcher. And what that did for me was to help me just more fully understand how, if we wanna be selfish, our selfishness should focus on taking care of ourselves. If we want to be gracious, if we want to be caring, if we want to be loving, we focus on taking care of ourselves so we have the strength and the ability and the intellect and the overall goodness to enjoy and seek for these moments of joy. Uh, I want to read just a, a moment uh, or two of some of Elaine's notes. They're in the book, by the way. And... Um, um, myelaines.com. I'm not a book salesman. I want you to know that. But I do want you to understand that as not a book salesman, I do want you to buy this book. And I want you to buy this book because people have told me that it has helped them. It has helped them on this journey. Uh, as well, here, let me read just a few of, of, of mytwoelaines.com is where you might uh, look to find this book. Uh, all one word, mytwoelaines.com. But let me write one of the very first words. She wrote, upon her diagnosis, she, was, um, she, she wrote a letter to what she had called dear loved ones. And she writes, it wasn't until a few weeks ago that I really had to say, yes, I do have Alzheimer's. I had read of signs that indicate Alzheimer's, like getting overly upset for no reason, having trouble with names and directions, 
but I still didn't think it was a problem for me. But in hindsight, for too long, I've been getting lost driving, having trouble keeping days straight, and difficulties with names and schedules. Still, I still felt I could handle it. It won't get worse. But this morning, I started reading about the mid-stage of Alzheimer's in hopes of preparing myself better and realized I am not very far away. That is most scary, but I have to accept it. And so we get a sense then, you know, of, 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 what, of what it's like in, in their life. And then she writes also um, another series. She says, I wish my Alzheimer's would dissipate. I'd like to be the smart mother and wife I used to be. Now I have to waste so much time just trying to figure out what I should be doing without seeming as smart as I used to be. I need to rely on Marty for everything. And I am very lucky he continues to keep me as life gets more difficult every day. I don't say that she uh, needs to rely on me for everything for self-grandizement. I say that so you as a caregiver can understand what your loved one is going through about how much they depend on you. And I want to reiterate, the fact that they depend on you is all the more reason for you to keep yourself healthy, to get your, ex your exercise, to make sure that you're, you're getting assistance with, 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 with helping on this journey. And then also she wrote a very short note. She wrote, Marty, I'd be so lost without you. So please continue to take good care of yourself for me as well as for you. Now, also, we have to understand what kind of a roller coaster they are on. And also, because we understand what kind of roller coaster they are on, we also are on a similar kind of roller coaster as we try and follow in their lives. But listen to this. I'm not role, I am not enjoying my role anymore as Marty's wife. Because of his having concerns about my Alzheimer's, he doesn't let me be me. He doesn't let me go for a walk if I want to or the store alone. I used to appreciate him, what I thought was concern, but he holds me captive much too much. I'm going to try to have a second opinion because I really don't think I have any problem. I know how to drive or walk any place I want to, but he doesn't believe me. And I hate the control he has placed on me. I don't even think I have Alzheimer's. Now, the last one um, that, which one, one that I just truly is so meaningful to me, and uh, I'll use this uh, in closing, and uh, I, I want to make sure we, we allocate enough time for, for the, the questions and answers and, and, and for the experts to be, to be helpful. Um, what I'm, I'm going to, um, before, before I read the, the last notes of Elaine, uh, I want to tell you the book. Uh, first of all, it's, it's big print, and it's a three-hour read, but I want to tell you that there have been people who have picked up this book, started to read it, and couldn't put it down. Well, you may think that's bragging, but let me tell you how that happened. So we go back to last January, and it was uh, well, really pretty cold, and, but I was running short of books. So I go to the printer, and I say, hey, I said, is it? Could you please print me some books? I'm, I'm, I'm short, and could you put me on a, on a fast schedule? Lo and behold. He gets the books done not only on time, but ahead of schedule. But here's the problem. You see how that is, is reflective and shiny? Well, that's a covering of shack, a shell, um, like a shellac, uh, you know, like a varnish, okay? Well, what happened was 
he didn't let that varnish dry. And what happened is it became sticky. And so people picked up this book and they started to read it and they wanted to set it down and they couldn't set it down. And so um, I suppose that they probably got the lacquer dried by now if anyone still can't put it down. Uh, I would hope so. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to close. Um, um, here, here's, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I want to I share with you the importance of prayer and patience and persistence. And uh, then I'm going to read my very favorite last note of Elaine. Anyway, so there was this woman who had this parrot. And all this parrot would say all the time, Polly wants a party, Polly wants a party, Polly wants a party. Well, she's expecting some of her, high, her college classmates to come over. And she's a doctorate. And I don't know which, which degree she had, but she had a doctorate. And they were coming where her doctorate uh, fellow students, graduates, of course. And so she was worried that they're not going to make a good impression. Uh, she's not going to make a good impression. If that's all her parent knows is Polly wants a party. Polly wants. So she goes to see her priest. And she says, Father, she says, you have to help me. I've got this parrot. And all this parrot says all the time is, Polly wants a party. Polly wants a party. My friends are coming over and they're going to think less of me because that's all they hear the parrot say. What should I do? The priest said, this is a miracle. He said, I myself have two parrots. I have Peter parrot and I have Paul parrot. And he said, I've had them for seven years. And he says, all they do, they pray from morning till night. Every hour of the day, every day of the week, every week of the month, every month of the year. For seven years, they've been praying and praying. What we should do is to take your parrot, Polly, and put it in with my parrots, Peter and Paul. And what will happen then is my parrots will be a good influence on your parrot. And so they agreed. And so the lady gets her parrot, brings it over to the, to the priest's home. They open up the care parrot's cage and they put the parrot. Sure enough, Polly wants a party. Polly wants a party. Peter Parrot looked at Paul Parrot and said, our prayers have finally been answered. And so prayer, persistence, patience. Um, let me read now the last, and, and then uh, I, I, I'm going to add on one other aspect. Um, that, this is the Elaine's note, which, which is so much of my favorite. She writes, life is good. And I plan to have it continue that way until my children tell me it's time for a nursing home or something like that. This is realistic with what my Alzheimer's book says about my future. But till then, I will try my best to be normal, whatever that means, and keep my happy side of life always continuing. I'm lucky to have such a good family and many friends to help me get through all this. And so another great day to thank the Lord and smile Smile, smile. So before we open it up for questions, I am talking to the caregivers, and, and you and I have got choices to make. We can take care of ourselves and put ourselves in the best position forward. We can make the choice of the difficult choice of letting go of the person who once was so we can embrace the person who now is. We can make the choice to understand that if Alzheimer's is bad, ignorance of the disease is worse. We can make the choice to try and learn how to dance uh, in the rain rather than worrying about the storm to pass. 
We can make the choice to help our loved one and ourselves live our best lives possible. We had that as a choice. So there was this wise old Indian chief who was blind, and he had what was known as the wisdom of Solomon. And so one day, two young braves got together, and they figured they're going to trick this Indian chief, and they're going to prove to the Indian nation this Indian chief is not so wise and not so intelligent. So one brave said to the other, he said, what I'm going to do, he said, I'm going to get a sparrow and I'm going to hold it in my hand, and I'm going to go before the Indian chief, he said, and I'm going to ask the Indian chief, is the sparrow dead or alive? If the Indian chief said the sparrow is dead, I'm going to crush it in my hand, and the Indian chief will be wrong. If the Indian chief said the sparrow is dead, I will open up my hand and let it fly away. So the two braves figured this was a good plan of attack. And they went before the Indian chief, and the brave said, Indian chief, I have a sparrow in my hand. Is it dead or alive? And the Indian chief said, the sparrow is as you choose it to be. And so it's tough to be a caregiver. It's excruciatingly painful. We've learned how to grieve and and handle the death of a sudden uh, uh, dying experience. But society has not yet resolved on how to help a caregiver as they watch their loved one die a little bit every day. And so while life is tough, we still have our choices to make and we still have those choices that can be good. But then to also understand that there are so many quality, outstanding organizations, caring, compassionate people that are there to help. And if you're smart, you and I will go to them ask for guidance, ask for help, ask for support. So my thanks again to all of you. Uh, Boy, I tell you to uh, know that I'm talking to people in West Virginia, that's really quite an honor for this kid from Milwaukee, uh, which is of course where I live and uh, here in uh, uh, my uh, little old condo. But anyway, thank you very much for allowing me to be with you. And thank you so much for what you're doing to help us caregivers. Hey, Marty, we have quite a few questions for you. Um, I've been going into the Q&A, and I think Kathy is here to help with that as well. Um, But one of the first questions was, how long did it take you to accept Elaine's condition? Too long. Um, This is so very important. Um, uh, There's there's, there's two types of responses. First of all, I've the Alzheimer's Association has just been outstanding in helping me. I've been going to them for counseling and, and they do have this 800 number hotline that you can call. But anyway, so I'm going to counseling and I said to the counselor, I just cannot see putting Elaine into a nursing home. The key word they're being putting. And my counselor looked at me and says, you're not putting Elaine anyplace. You are giving her an opportunity to be who she is now. And I thought about that. And then I'm thinking, why don't I want to put Elaine into into a a, a nursing home? It was because one of the reasons I didn't want to accept defeat. I didn't want to acknowledge that Alzheimer's had beaten me. And therefore, I was hanging on to Elaine, maybe not necessarily what was in her best interest, but was for me a personal battle against Alzheimer's. So I had to have enough wisdom common sense to set that aside. So my goal is to not fight this disease confrontation, but
but to fight this disease by understanding it and by helping my loved one live their best life possible. That's one example, but it took me much too long. And that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book because I look back on that journey and I did so many dumb, stupid things to other people, to myself, to friends, this irrational irritability. And I thought, if I could just come up with something that would make the journey a little bit easier. So it took me too long. I don't know. I don't think it, it's an enlightening kind of spirit, you know, like a, a, you know, an epiphany or so forth. It's just getting an understanding of what is happening and accepting it and then going on, letting go of the person who once was. We have another question, Governor. Uh, where did you first turn for help? Well, I, that's a good question, too. I tell you what, I didn't need help uh, to tell you the truth. I was strong enough, tough enough. Um, I'm going through this, and I'm talking to uh, the, the nurse for the Alzheimer's doctor. And I said, is there anything that I can do to just help a little bit? Well, she says, there's these caregiver su support groups. <laughs> I said, you mean I would sit around a circle with a group of people and say, this is what my loved one did today. Ha, ha, ha. And boy, did my loved one did silly thing the other day. Ha, ha. And I said, I don't need that. And so uh, I think it wasn't till I'm pretty much along the way and my health has been suffering. And I said, I, I learned about the Navy sailing and the Army's marching and the beer that's brewed. And, and finally, uh, I, I got to the point where it was, it was really almost a, uh, intervention. That's what they call it, right? My, my children sat down and they talked to me and they said, dad, if you don't start taking care of yourself, you're going to be dead before Ma. Why do we want to lose two parents? And so uh, again, I can't put my finger on any of these exact dates, but again, I wish that someone would have sat me down. I got to the point where I'm talking with, with Tom Lavichek and, and also uh, Tom was the president and uh, Mariana Clarity, uh, vice president. I got to the point Maybe we just got to take a baseball bat and beat we caregivers aside the head so that we finally get an understanding of this. Uh, sometimes it comes too late, not soon enough. We have another question. At what stage of Alzheimer's did you decide to move your loved one from home care to long-term care? You know, that's a great question. Um, there's a combination, okay? Uh, it was not only at what stage was Elaine at, but at what stage was I at? And another intervention by the children and say, Dad, if you don't make sure that mom gets, you know, 24 uh, 7, I get, I go back to the Alzheimer's Association, my counselor saying, You're, you know, what, what you're doing is you want to give Elaine the liver best life possible. Then what happened was the, uh, uh, and it's not a matter of what stage, because the, the, my counselor from the Alzheimer's Association said, can Marty Shriver's 24-7 nursing home care take care of Elaine? The answer to that was no. Can Marty Shriver's nursing uh, uh, situation help Elaine uh, be really safe? The answer to that was really no. So any caregiver that is thinking about placing placing their loved one or giving them an opportunity to be who they want are, are now, but anyone who's, who's thinking about that has to think about their own health as well as the health of the person who is ill with Alzheimer's. And so it's sort of a combination. And basically what I would say is whenever it becomes apparent that the safety and health of either the caregiver 
or the person with Alzheimer's is at risk, at that time, you've really got to start thinking seriously. And so it's a balanced approach. And it was not just the Elaine situation, but it was also my health and life as well. Uh, how can adult children be helpful to the spouse caregiver without taking over completely? Well, in, you know, I, I, when I began my discussion, I talked about how I wrote my side of the story and then how I found out the Elaine side of the story. Well, what happened was I wrote the book, it's in publication, and now we're traveling the country and giving talks and people say, how did your children handle it? Well, never was I smart enough to even sit down and talk to my children about this. And so what we caregivers have to do from the start, I think, is to make sure that our children understand that we also grieve with them. I was expecting them to give all of the grief and, and comfort to me. But as I was losing my wife, they were losing their mom. So we caregivers first have to understand that our children are losing a parent as well. Now, once, once that occurs, uh, any time a child, uh, my, my oldest is almost 60 years old, any time a child can give uh, empathy and understanding and a willingness to uh, uh, help in any way possible. I have three children. Um, a daughter on the East Coast, daughter on the West Coast, and, and two sons in the Wisconsin area. Um, of, of the four, my son, one of them just does not want to see mom as she is and wants to remember as she once was. And so to understand for our children, we've got to learn that everyone handles their grief in a different way. Everyone handles Alzheimer's in a different way. So I cannot resent my son for not wanting to see his mom. Uh, I can uh, be grateful for his willingness to help me in every other way possible, giving me comfort and assistance. Uh, and so um, I, I think also that we caregivers sometimes are, uh, if I say unstable, I mean, we don't know what to do because we're not thinking straight. So the more compassionate uh, our, our children are in helping giving us guidance into what is the proper road and direction for us to take, the better off we're going to be. But um, Marianne, why don't you give, give your thoughts on that, if you can remember the, the question, did you? Um, sure. The, the thing that I, I think is so important is um, being a partner as much as possible, um, hosp excuse me, as much as possible and giving them options. Um, my mom and I were so close and it was challenging, but I think we had such a level of trust and that trust never went away. So we were fortunate. Um, I think the only thing she, she mistrusted me on is she thought I was stealing her diet Coke. And so was the neighbor. And I was like, uh, you know, I'll get you some more diet Coke mom. So again, entering that reality and not walking away and saying, I didn't steal your diet Coke mom, because fighting and arguing just doesn't make any sense. But I think, again, being a partner, um, I have nine brothers, so I had to communicate with them. And what I really worked at was just trying to be on the same page. But my dad had already passed and we had cared for him. So it was just me and my mom. And then my brothers gave advice and insights. Um, I hope that answers your question. What advice would you give a caregiver who is in denial of their loved one needing assistance, especially when left home alone? I tell you, 
I have had a very, very close relative be in denial about his wife's Alzheimer's. I don't have an answer for that. And the reason I don't have an answer for that is I tried everything other than beating him over the head. But I, I tried to have him understand. I tried to, and, and, and I don't know how, how we can take someone who is in denial and have them understand other than all of the reasoning and so forth. I don't know, Marianne, any further thoughts on that? Um, I think, you know, again, the Alzheimer's Association was a great help to me. And I know that we're going to have more um, information on that. And that 800 number and that information, I think more than anything, the family just has to learn as much as they can. Um, but when someone's in denial or think they can do it alone, um, the best advice I ever received was, um, saying, please do this for me. So as a child talking to a parent who's the caregiver, I need you to take care of yourself for me. As And, you know, many times children won't deny their children or parents won't deny their children. And so hopefully they will, um, you know, reach out for some help. But I know that we've had children trying to talk to their mother over and over and over. And then they come here, Marty, in a presentation and the mother will go up to Marty and go, like she heard it for the first time, I'm going to call the Alzheimer's Association. I'm going to get some help. I'm going to call the ADRC. So sometimes it's not you as a child <laughs> helping your parent through denial. It's really, they need to hear it from someone at their same level, a man or a professional or an outsider. So um, don't take it personally, just get the help, give them the book, get the audio, listen to it in the car and say, oh, I just found this, you know, get get it queued up so they can hear how, you know, Marty had to make these tough decisions and, um, and was probably in denial as a caregiver for a long time of taking care of himself. So that's my advice. And this kind of follows up on that. How did you handle your shifting role? This person says she's tr that they're trying to parent their mother without making her feel like a child. Any advice on that? You know, that that's a tough one. Um, and I hear that a lot. Um, I'm going through it with my brother now. He does not like the fact that I'm helping him and he has dementia issues. And so as much as possible, I offer him options, but not too many. And when he says stop, I stop, you know, but, um, you know, it's, it's just trying to work on that partnership and respecting them and treating them um, with dignity and grace and trying to infuse as much joy and laughter as possible. That was my saving grace with my mom. We would go in McDonald's have a meal. We'd walk out. She'd look at me and she'd go, let's go to McDonald's. And I'd be like, yeah. And I'd go through the drive-thru and I'd get her another little ice cream cone because who cares? Like Marty said, who cares if they have wine at 930? I'm sure all you professionals out there are squirming a little bit with that one. I gave my mom grape juice. <laughs> you know, She thought it was wine. Um, and Marty talks a lot about therapeutic fibbing, you know, just for their best interest, don't you don't always have to give them the truth. I didn't have to tell my mom that my oldest brother died a second, third, fourth, fifth time. I just said it once, and that was a mistake in my mind. But we we mourned, we went past, and then after that, Joe was great. Joe was good. His children are good. Everybody's great, mom, and they love you so much. And just infusing that joy in the moment. So 
again, my two cents on how to handle, because it's tough. Well, what some advice you would give to a sibling whose younger sister has Alzheimer's disease, but lives too far away to visit and phone calls are kind of difficult. Could you say that again? Well, this person says, what advice would you give to a sibling whose younger sister with Alzheimer's disease lives too far away to visit and mm -hmm. phone calls are very difficult? Um, phone calls are tough. I wonder if FaceTiming or Skyping could be a possibility so they can see your face and have that memory. Hopefully they will remember you. Um, you know, providing, if, if there is a caregiver that's helping your sibling, providing them support and supporting them by, you know, paying for respite so they can have some, some time off. Um, I know I had some siblings that helped me in that way. So I wasn't constantly stressed and frustrated, um, but trying to make that connection, writing them letters possibly um, before they forget who the letters are coming from, sending photos, uh, one of my friends had one of those photo boxes. Oh, I wish I knew the name, but they could upload photos currently. And every time, she's a 90-year-old woman, pretty sharp. Um, but every time I'd go over, she'd show me the photos. And she'd say, isn't this amazing? It's like the photos are just coming on this little screen. Um, so you younger people probably know what that's called. But I, I was amazed every time I saw them. But keeping that connection, um, asking them questions, that they can answer and documenting some of their answers. So you have that information for the future. Um, those are things that I would recommend to stay close because that is hard to be far away. We actually moved my brother up here when he started showing signs of dementia so he wouldn't be alone. So maybe looking at options if that person doesn't have the caregiver support where they're at. Governor Shriver, what are some things you learned about yourself during this journey as a caregiver? Well, certainly that I'm not as bright as I think I am. Um, I, I could be a lot smarter than I, I look. Um, I learned too slow. I, um, I was arrogant and stubborn and how I was gonna handle this disease. I was gonna do it alone. I was gonna take care of Elaine. I, uh, I, met, I, I took the marriage vow that I would, you know, for better for health and so forth and so forth. And I just, I, um, and I guess I'm still going through a learning process now. Uh, as, as I try and learn about myself. And, and I guess maybe, maybe the most important thing that I learned is, is letting go. Uh, and again, my counselor was so very good about that. And, and that being, okay, here I think is the most important as I recollect, letting go. Uh, you know, someone is gonna say something to us five years ago, 10 years ago, we're still angry about it. Uh, maybe our friends say something or another, uh, Elaine is no longer the same person. You have to let go and you have to look towards the future. And so I guess of all the things then that I didn't do soon enough was just learn how to let go. Were there any, any suggestions for managing caregiver stress, especially during this time when we're kind of isolated because of the virus, the COVID-19? Um, 
Is there any recommendations you can make for that? Well, certainly exercise, uh, certainly trying to get enough sleep, uh, certainly eating the right foods, certainly uh, curtailing the, the amount of alcohol consumption. I think, I think caregiver stress um, is so psychologically impacting that we've got to do everything we can to keep our body as strong as possible to help us deal with it. And so uh, one of the things that I do for caregiving stress is I write a monthly article uh, to, to try and help caregivers. Um, I do talk with any number of people who might call me and uh, express. So I'm very fortunate in that I can be active in, 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 in helping um, people along this journey. Uh, but I guess I would just go, start off by saying the very, very basics, and that's physical exercise. Walking is the best exercise for the brain. Uh, uh, so that would be it. Then Sudoku or whatever else, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, Marianne, what else do we do? What else do people do to keep themselves from getting bonked out on, on, on Um, I think... I think walking in nature is one of the best things possible, you know, and just um, utilizing the caregiver support networks that you have. And again, um, aging council groups through your counties, um, there's more than just the Alzheimer's Association. I know we use them a lot, but calling that 800-272-3900 helpline, ALZ.org has a lot of online caregiver support. Um, someone had asked about Hispanic support for Hispanic families. And I know here in Wisconsin, we have a bilingual um, native speaker who supports those families and does education programs. So I'm sure in your county or in your state, you also have that. Um, maybe Anna can talk more about that in terms of multiracial support. Um, but I think, you know, that is going to just talking to people about the challenges you're going through, um, getting, uh, you know, not having to nail down the facts with your person. That was another question we had. Do the facts really matter? You know, um, it depends on what the facts are. And so I think as you talk to people entering that world and letting go and, and just um, joining the world of the person as they are now today. Thank you. Uh, I'm just reviewing some of these questions. Um, let's see here. No, I'm a candidate for president of the United States of America. <laughs> well, if you want to answer that kind of a question, <laughs> how about what recommendations do you have for uh, the current administration um, and the future administration on, on handling this, this issue of Alzheimer's disease and caregiver stress and support. All right. Okay. Uh, it would begin with a very general principle and statement that if Alzheimer's is bad, ignorance of the disease is worse. And so uh, there has been a work done about creating dementia uh, 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 Is it dementia, fr oh, dementia friendly? And uh, uh, I think you, we can think about spending lots and lots and lots of money. By the way, while, while we are no closer to having a, a cure that can be, that can delay, prevent um, uh, Alzheimer's, but uh, there's a, been a heck of an increase in the amount of research. And so I think I would like to have them continue that as much as possible. But I think 
underscoring and building from if Alzheimer's is bad, ignorance of the disease is worse, and to try and develop and work in uh, developing dementia-friendly uh, communities. And I think that in turn would lead on to dementia-friendly churches, synagogues, um, parishes, and so on. Okay. Um, we have a question about handling the loss of communication skills with our loved ones. Um, well, How do you handle those? Yeah, well, first of all, communication is not just talking. Um, and the, the communication skills, point number one, join their world. Wherever they're at, uh, that's, that's where you join them. And uh, if, if they're thinking about long lost loved ones and so forth and so forth, well, uh, that, that type of communication is so important. But I see Elaine now, and I have to wear a mask, and I also have to wear a plastic shield. Why I don't frighten her, I don't know, other than maybe my voice. And so she is not too much, she, her world is very, very small. So my communication with her is singing to her. My communication is holding her hand. My communication is rubbing her back. And uh, verbal communication has uh, been been gone in, in our lives for maybe the last uh, two, two and a half years. So I think when you say communication, we have to understand that communication is not word of mouth only. Communication is it's just just sitting and holding and 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 touching. Uh, sometimes that's ends up being the best, most important communication one could have. Did you take Elaine to a day program before she was finally admitted to a nursing home? I did, and. Uh, First of all, it, it was getting to the point where I knew I couldn't do this with Elaine around every day, every hour. And so I tried to get her to accept someone coming into the home, but there was no way that she would allow any any other woman, any person in our home, absolutely no way. And so then I said, we, we talked about daycare. Well, I'm, she didn't want to go to daycare. Well, I knew that she wanted to she always wanted to continue her education. She had a master's degree and she wanted to work for a doctorate. I said, how about if we go to, uh, to, to college and get you some more college credits? And that she agreed to. So I went to the daycare uh, of, of people and we talked about this. And uh, lo and behold, that they understood. And so every morning, he, he, I, well, I got Elena's spiral notebook and I got a pen. And every morning we went to... Uh, the daycare, and uh, she would take her notes and come home. And at night, we would go over the notes together. And uh, and so it, it it began with trickery. Uh, I don't know. Uh, therapeutic fibbing is a better term than trickery. Uh, but it began with therapeutic fibbing. Also, where there would be a morning or two sometimes when we would drive up to the daycare, she says, I'm not going in. Well, by that time, I learned enough to know that I'm not going to fight it. So we would simply drive around a little bit and a couple of minutes, 15 minutes, we'd come back and say, okay, time to go into, into, into class. Absolutely. And so, again, uh, redirection of the therapeutic fibbing, uh, but the daycare was extremely important for Elaine, uh, for her self-worth. Can you imagine? She, she's, she, she's working towards something. She's, she's, she now has value in, in her own mind and life. And what a wonderful thing that was for me to be able to 
find the situation in which you would be able to experience that. And again, if you if we go back to what she was writing, and I'm sure that every every Alzheimer's patient would write the same things that they would be writing. And you just are so worried about the future and you're so concerned, but then all of a sudden there's a brightness that pops into the life. That's that's what, what a, ter- a great gift. That was so fortunate. Uh, Lily asks, is that, well, Lily says that there's having a male caregiver voice is very critical. People don't realize that there are a huge number of male caregivers. And she asks, is there a story of one man you recall that helped you man to man? Well, as I think about it, um, some I think I think you know I mentioned my my a, a, a close relative who refused to admit, you know, to confront, and I would say that as negative as that experience was, man to man, that helped me. Uh, it it helped me understand how stubborn we men can be. It helped me understand how I have to guard against that kind of uh, of stubbornness on on my own part, and uh, you know, I, I just think it was it was just a whole number of friends, male and female, who began to understand what kind of a challenge. I guess I would like to point out that some special person, other than someone who taught me more negative. Uh, aspects than, than positive, but that drove home the point to me when I saw how insistent he was on refusing to admit. Governor Schreiber, I want to thank you. Uh, I think the best takeaway that I personally received from this was letting go of the person who was and embracing the person who is. I think we can all use that in every, every part of our lives. Uh, thank you, Governor Schreiber. Kathy, I thank you very, very much. Thank you all. Lindsay, you want to continue? Thank you also, Governor Schreiber. Thank you, Marianne. And thank you, Kathy, for moderating that Q&A. Such powerful words. So um, I know we all have um, really important takeaways from today's first.